0: Chapter Four of *The Man with the Black Cord* by Augusta Groener, translated by Grace Isabel Colbran. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mueller's new housekeeper. It was on September twentieth that Missus Tunner entered Joseph Mueller's service. Ten days after the disappearance of Leopold Erlock, and the third day after her painful meeting with her son. No mere chance, but Mueller's own determination had brought the woman to his house. From the moment that the Erlock case began to interest him, he had been making inquiries about the servants in the establishment. There was nothing whatever to be found out about the Tills. They were ordinary, commonplace, faithful people. But Mrs. Tunner proved more interesting. Mueller's experience had taught him that widows who are serving in a menial position, although noticeably above their station, were apt to have a past that might prove worth investigating. He looked up Mrs. Tunner's record in the Inzersdorf police station, found the date of her arrival there and also the statement that she had been born in Innsbruck in the Tyrol and was now 48 years old. He traced up her former terms of service without difficulty until about 15 or 16 years back. In his search, Mueller found that there were several other people in Vienna who bore the name of Tunner. Only one of these people interested him. This was a man by the name of Karl Tunner, who was 27 years old, and who was also recorded as having been born in Innsbruck. This young man had wandered about the country a good deal, according to the record, and had had various professions. He had been assistant to a photographer, he had been a chorus singer in one of the smaller theaters, and he had also been in vaudeville. As he followed up the official records of the life of this versatile youth, Mueller became more and more convinced that Carl Tunner was Teresa Tunner's son. Mueller also knew the address to which Mrs. Tunner had gone when she left the greenhouse. Furthermore, he knew that she had advertised for a position. He let his own faithful housekeeper answer the advertisement and engage Mrs. Tunner for her master. Mrs. Tunner saw no reason to doubt the other woman's story that she was obliged to leave her position, possibly for several months, to take care of an invalid sister. All this Mueller had done on his own responsibility— Therefore, he was greatly pleased when he was officially engaged for the Erlock case. He had also learned several things of importance from the young lieutenant. When the latter asserted what his uncle must have told him, that Mrs. Tunner was quite alone in the world, Mueller, who knew better, wondered why the woman had lied. When she entered his household, he apparently troubled himself very little about her after the first greeting. But in reality, he himself, as well as his servant Conrad and his coachman, both of whom were in his confidence, were watching the woman's every movement. Everything that was needed for the household had been bought for the next two or three days, and it was Conrad's duty to post all letters and to receive those left at the door. Therefore, there was no way in which Mrs. Tunner could communicate with the outside world unnoticed. But the woman herself was quite satisfied with this arrangement. The less she had to go out, the better she liked it, and she knew her son to be in safety. For before she had left Mrs. Menger, the woman in whose home she had been living, the latter's sister had already received a letter from Karl to be forwarded to his mother. Mrs. Tunner could not bear to destroy the few lines written by her only child. She put them in her trunk. She thought that now, in the house of this pleasant old man, about whom she knew nothing further than that he was living quietly on his income, she would be safe from all intrusion. On her first entrance into the house, some of the strain of her nerves seemed to relax, and she felt that if it were possible for her ever to be happy again, she might be happy here. The day following her arrival, Mueller sent for Mrs. Tunner and asked her if she would mind going out. He had to send Conrad on an errand, and he discovered that Mrs. Grusner had forgotten to order some articles from the delicatessen store, of which he was particularly fond. He would give her a list, and Conrad would drive her in Mueller's own carriage. As he handed her the list and the money, he looked at her sharply and asked, "'Are you ill, Mrs. Tunner? You don't look a bit well to-day. Perhaps I had better not send you out. It's so raw and cold. If you don't want to go, don't be afraid to say so.' "'Oh, no, sir, indeed I am not ill, and I'm not afraid of the weather. But it's no wonder I look sick, after what I've been through with.' "'Indeed, what was it? Haven't you heard of the occurrence in Insersdorf, sir?' "'No, I don't seem to remember. What was it?' A rich old man disappeared mysteriously. Oh, yes, yes, I remember now. It was in the papers. But how does that concern you? Concern me? Why, I was his housekeeper, and I was alone with him in the house at the time of his disappearance. Indeed, that is most interesting. You must tell me all about it. You will probably be able to give many more details than the newspapers did. Oh, no, sir. I know nothing whatever about it. Nothing more than anyone else. Nothing more than what was in the papers. These last words were spoken in a quiet, monotonous tone. Mueller wondered whether the woman had uttered them so often that they became like a speech she had learned. He also wondered at her deliberately calling up the subject herself. Was it intentional? Was it from a desire on her part to avoid an unexpected mention of it? These questions filled Mueller's brain as he pushed a chair forward for her and said, in the tone of a child pleased at the thought of hearing a gruesome story, Oh, do sit down here and tell me all about it. I read only a short notice, just mentioning the occurrence, and it's so much more interesting to hear about it from someone who was there. You must tell me all about it. Mrs. Tunner smiled slightly at his childlike eagerness. She told her story with the same bare fidelity to facts that she had shown all along. She did not mention her son, nor did she say anything about the specter of horrible doubt that had clouded her mind since the morning of the 10th of September muller threw in a question now and then a question cleverly devised to lead her on to say more he knew enough of the case to see that the woman in what she did say was telling him absolutely the truth but with the keen inexplainable other sense that made him the man he was he felt that mrs tunner was hiding something from him something that might not have been actual knowledge but was at least a supposition when she had finished her story she rose from her chair with the words "'So you can imagine, sir, that I did not want to stay in that house another night.' "'I can indeed. It was quite natural that you should have preferred to go back to your own family.' "'Mrs. Menger is no relation of mine.' "'Are you alone in the world, then?' The question came quite naturally from Mueller's lips. The woman hesitated a second or two too long. Then she said, "'I have a son.' "'Indeed, and he is not with you here?' "'No, I do not know where he is.' I have had no news from him for some time. He is at sea. He is a sailor. The words came very slowly, heavily. Mueller could see how hard it was for this woman to lie. He felt sorry for her. That was very interesting. The carriage will be ready at three o'clock. Mrs. Tunner bowed, took up the coffee cups, and left the room. The detective looked after her, his face very grave. Why did she lie to me? Anybody could see she was lying muller's face was very sad for the woman had already aroused his full sympathy conrad and the new housekeeper drove off at three o'clock and muller went downstairs into mrs tunner's room he was now entirely alone in the house and the little room looked out only on the garden he drew the curtains and lit his tiny lantern for it was a gloomy day and already almost dark then the detective started in on the examination of the belongings of his new housekeeper There was little to be found in the cupboard and closet of the room. A few pieces of clothing only, neat and clean, but much mended, lay packed away in the drawers. Mueller wondered why this woman who had been through many years of service in well-paid positions should be so poor, should have so little money to spend on herself. She must have had some use for her salary, which deprived her of any advantage from it. Then Mueller turned to the trunk. The lock was simple, and he could open it easily it was only half full. A large package done up in white paper lay on top. Mueller opened the package and found himself looking down at a handsome white satin gown cut in a style of several decades back, the costly stuff already yellowing from disuse. A white veil lay with the gown in the package and a faded myrtle wreath. Mueller's eyes grew dim with sympathy as he carefully rewrapped the package. Below it in the trunk were three smaller boxes, In the first he found a pair of baby shoes, worn and faded, also a folded school composition book of the primary grade, on which stood in a stiff, childish hand the name Carl Tunner. In the second box was the uniform cap of a general of infantry and a death certificate written by an Innsbruck priest to the effect that General Anton Maltner, Chevalier von Roch, had died on the 26th of July, 1879. In the third box, which Mueller opened after carefully closing the other two, were photographs, bundles of letters, and family papers. He sat down to the examination of this box, and it took him more than an hour. When he had got through, he knew the history of Mrs. Tunner's life. He knew that she had been brought up in luxury, in a high social position, that she was the daughter of a general and wife of a man of means, but that death and reverses had left her alone in the world, to bring up her son by her own efforts. There were several photographs of this boy at various stages of his childhood and youth. The latest one, taken possibly a year or two ago, interested Mueller most. It was a costume portrait of a very good-looking young man in Greek dress, with the exaggerated hair and jewelry of a comic opera part. Written on the back of this picture were Carl Tunner's own remarks as to his success in the part. Also there was a letter, written somewhat later, in which he said that he was tired of the photographic business and wanted to return to the stage, for which he felt he was well fitted. In the few letters that were there, Mueller could see what Mrs. Tunner must have suffered from the vagaries of her son, whose idle, pleasure-loving and unscrupulous character lay clear before the reader. The last letter that the detective found was hastily written in pencil on a torn slip and thrust into an envelope, which was not addressed. The word Tunner was written on it in pencil. The letter read as follows, I was a fool to suggest what I did to you on that dreadful night. If you could only have helped me in time, I would not now be in hiding. I thank you from my heart for what you have now done for me. The money will help me to get away. I thank you deeply for your letter. You can be easy about me. I will tell you more when I feel that it will be safe for me to see you again. K. Mueller read these lines carefully several times, his face very grave, then he copied them in his notebook, murmuring half aloud, "'Oh, that dreadful night!' He closed the trunk and left the room. His heart was full of pity at the thought of what this woman must have suffered in the varied experiences of her life. Then his mind came back to the business of the moment, to this woman's possible connection with the mysterious occurrence in Inzersdorf. Was the dreadful night of which Karl Tunner wrote the night of the ninth of September? This much stood clear. Carl Tunner was in hiding, had fled from the city. His mother had not been able to help him in time, but later she had given him considerable money, and mixed up in this somehow was what the careless lad himself spoke of as the dreadful night. End of chapter 4